Thank you, Brother Johnson. It's nice to be here. It's been a wonderful to uh, have the fellowship with the board and now with other other brethren that that uh, have come and will come. We hope before the meetings are over. I feel like I should be out there and any one of you up here today uh, feel sort of like, and probably unjustly so, feel like I'm kind of in a press. We have all the critics here. Hard to preach to those who know so much about the Word of God. We have been signed the subject, the subject uh, of the flesh versus the spirit. I'd like to read a portion from Galatians 5, if I may. You would turn with us to chapter 5 of Galatians. I'd like to begin reading at verse 16. Read through the chapter. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The, the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and the such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in past time or times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ, they that belong to him, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. I began a month or so ago to compile uh, enough of material to last for, how many minutes do I have? About 40. About 40, okay. Uh, uh, for 40 minutes. And then, after about the first evening, I, I began to throw away material. I couldn't find enough to start with, and then I began to, and I've been restricting it ever since. There's so much material on this subject, you just can't use it all. I trust the Holy Spirit uh, has given us that which will be beneficial for our edification and blessing today. The thought came to me as I thought on the subject of the flesh versus the spirit, uh, how that uh, the flesh is so evident in our own personal lives. I don't think uh, we need to uh, go to the scriptures to find out that we're sinful. That's very evident. 
And when we go to the scriptures, certainly we find out that we're even more sinful than we thought we were. And we thought we are. We are. We are sinful. We have the potentiality of uh, terrible sin. And I'm going to talk for the most part uh, this evening on the subject of flesh. I don't think I need to elaborate too much on the spirit. I think we quite well know his office, his ministry in our lives, and uh, he's evident in the uh, victorious life of times we have to deal with the other side. It's quite evident that there is a reciprocity of uh, uh, animosity or, uh, shall we say, uh, there is a fight that goes on all the time between the flesh and the spirit antagonistically opposed one to the other and of course this uh, uh, context that we have just read certainly deals with that this thought occurred to me that uh, in this life we're in a process yes a process of salvation we speak in the terms of being saved having been saved being saved and shall be saved well, we have been saved from the penalty of sin, haven't we? I trust we all have. It's a glorious truth to know that God has forgiven our sins and that we're, uh, that we're intimately uh, related to him and that our, our sins are forgiven. It's another thing to realize that we sin. We are sinful. We have a, a great potential to sin. And we're in the process of experientially being saved. Of course, as we read the scriptures, we find that we shall be saved. There'll be a day when the flesh will be deleted and uh, we will stand before him in his perfection, totally. Uh, past, present, and future. Uh, sins forgiven. That is, we're saved from the penalty. We're being saved from the, uh, from the power of sin. And eventually... Uh, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. And so as long as we are here in the presence uh, of sin and we're, uh, we're related to it uh, all the while, all the time with ourselves and those around us, uh, certainly uh, we need deliverance. We need to recognize that uh, we can't win the battle. The battle is the Lord's. Uh, I think in the, in the scriptures... Uh, especially in the New Testament scriptures, uh, the word itself, flesh, and I'm going to deal with that first. The word flesh is used with uh, a more broad and different meanings in the New Testament. At least 12 major shades of meaning uh, is, uh, uh, are found in the, uh, in the New Testament scriptures. Among uh, the variations of uh, the, uh, these meanings, we would uh, mention just a few. First of all, the word flesh is spoken, is used, the word flesh is used pertaining to the, or in reference to the substance of the body. The substance of the body. Whether it would be beast or whether it be men. And it's used in that, in that connotation. Then it's used for the human body. Now I have some scripture references if you are taking notes. 1 Corinthians 15.39 speaks of the substance of the body. Then the human 
body itself. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3, the first clause of the verse, then Galatians 2.20 and Philippians 1.22. I'll just give you the reference. We won't turn there uh, this afternoon. And in, in these verses, we find uh, the flesh referring to the human body as such. Then we find it used several times, many times, as a figure of speech. And I, I wrote this from... Uh, I gleaned this from W.E. Vine's uh, Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words, and uh, this is what he says about uh, it as a figure of speech. He says it is used of mankind in the totality of all that is essential to manhood. That is, it speaks of the spirit, soul, and body. We believe that. And then it speaks of the, fourthly, of the lower and temporary element in the Christian. And that's the one that we want to deal with this afternoon in Galatians chapter 5 and other uh, places in the scripture. So the flesh, when it is used in this sense, it refers to the basic Adamic nature. It refers to the immaterial it is not something that we can grapple with ourselves. It's intangible. It's our nature. It's a nature that is a sort of, a, uh, if I would use a common phrase that we use, a hanger-on. It's something that's left over. It's something that we have in this life that will be deleted at the rapture or uh, when we go to be with the Lord. It pertains to the body. It's, the, it's, it's that which creates desires and affections of the body. In Romans 7, I'd like for you to turn there. In Romans chapter 7, and we'd like to look at one or two verses in this chapter in reference to this nature. We would ask you to turn to Romans 7, 18, firstly. The Apostle Paul says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will or to desire is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. I know that in me, that is in my flesh. Now here he uses it in a, as a figure of speech. He uses it referring not to the substance of his body or his body per se, but he, he refers to the nature, the Adamic nature. And uh, Paul here, in referring to the Adamic nature, he uh, refers to his own innate potentialities. Then, there, then he goes on in the chapter with his own self-analysis in which he uh, gives a commentary uh, to that potential. In chapter 7, 24 and 25, he reaches a high point. And he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Paul likened the nature to death. He calls it a death. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord 
So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Paul finds the uh, reciprocity of the antagonism that goes on within his being of the flesh nature and the Holy Spirit. So he thanks God that with his mind, that is, he can desire, this is, this is his ambition, but yet he finds himself unable in himself and by himself to comply with that desire. So he, uh, he says, with the uh, mind, I myself serve the law of God, but the flesh the law of sin. Some feel that the Apostle Paul was talking about a, a time that was prior to his salvation. I know a former pastor uh, that I served under for many years, he holds this view. He says, Paul is talking about his unsaved state here. But it's quite evident, and it's well to note, that throughout chapter 7, Paul speaks in the present tense. He does not speak in the past tense. I am, I find, not I found, but I find. And so the apostle uh, is referring to that which is his own uh, state. And so he goes on and he, he gives us a commentary of his own, uh, his own weakness. Of course, chapter 7 is only a, a conclusion of the great proposition set forth in chapter 6. And so therefore, the apostle tells us about our inabilities in chapter 5, tells us where the victory lies in chapter 6, and then he gives us the commentary and uses himself as the, uh, as the object of analysis. In chapter 6, uh, verse 4, uh, we'd do well perhaps to read the first four verses of chapter 6. I can't see too well up here. I, uh, this evening, so you'll find me reaching over on my notes to uh, get a better look. I, I, I get a glare. I have a cataract, and sometimes, at different times, under certain lighting conditions, I don't get the best view, vision. What shall we say then? Chapter 6, verse 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Uh, it's uh, noted that the word sin in Romans, and especially in chapters 5, 6, and 7, in each case, in every case, refers to the sin nature, not to sins in particular, but rather to the basic cause of sins, the sin nature. And each time we find it, we would do well if we would read uh, that shall we continue in the sin nature, shall we continue under its dictates or control, uh, then he says, that grace may abound, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin, or to the sin nature, live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, 
even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, of course, he's, he's stating the proposition here of identification with the, the Lord Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. We do not find the apostle exhorting us in chapter 6 to live the Christian life. What he's doing, he's presenting us with the doctrine of deliverance, that now, being identified with Christ through faith in his finished work at Calvary, and in view of sins being dealt with there in uh, its finality, sin, the sin nature being dealt with there in its finality, we find that now we are to be able to live above sin. Now we have the mechanics, if you please, to have victory. Of course, this means that it doesn't come automatically. And I used to read uh, chapter 6 and verse 4 and the last, the last clause where it, where it says there that as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also ought to walk in newness of life. This is what we should do. This, is, uh, this is, would be the uh, response. This is what we ought to do. But uh, I find out uh, that that's not the case. The word should does not have that, have that connotation. But rather that, it, that we might be enabled to walk in newness of life. That we might be able now. Uh, otherwise, we are not able. And so being identified with Christ, with his death, burial, and resurrection, now it is not only possible to have the strength to live the Christian life, but without it, it is impossible to have the strength. That's what Paul is driving at. That now, whereas before, it was impossible under any condition. Now it is not only possible, but uh, it is probable now. It's, 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 it's uh, mechanically possible. It's, it's, uh, it, it is uh, uh, not a, so much a condition we ought to do, but it's something now that we can do. Uh, in uh, Galatians 5, we may go back there to our, to our text, we find in verse 17, we'll, we'll read verse 16 again first, Paul has been talking about the impossibility of walking well-pleasing unto God through, uh, through the lost system, through legalism, through legalistic means. That's the subject, is it not, in Galatians? That we begun in the Spirit, we began in the Spirit, he says, are we made perfect or complete? in the flesh he introduces the chapter that, that way now when we get to, to verse 16 he says this I say then walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the desires or the vicious desires that word lust is a strong word unquote a vicious desires of the flesh uh, our word walk means to conduct ourselves doesn't it it means to uh, to uh, direct our behavior uh, that we might be controlled. Verse 17 says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit 
of course, lusteth against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other. Here we find that reciprocity uh, where the flesh reciprocates against the spirit, the spirit likewise reciprocates against the, the flesh, and we find the conflict. Then the apostle says, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Mr. Schofield makes a correction, and he says that we should not, you'll notice, under K. If you have a Schofield reference Bible, I assume some of you have. Now, as I study the context, and that's the only, about the only way I have of determining an interpretation, I know nothing about the dead languages, as we were talking at the supper table or at the dinner table last night. I know nothing about the Greek and Hebrew. I know little. I have some wonderful helps. I appreciate that, and I profit by them. But as far as having any knowledge of my own, I have none. But the word cannot is a better word than should not. The authorized version is a better, is a better word, I believe. The word cannot, of course, when you say you can't do anything, it means that it's impossible for you to do it. If you should not, well, it ought not. <laughs> uh, some translate it that you may not. Perhaps that's the best translation, I don't know. But I don't have any argument with cannot, because that's exactly what the apostle means. He means exactly that. He's not saying now that it, uh, uh, that, uh, these things are contrary one to another so that ye uh, cannot or that you should not do the things that you would or the things that you would desire to do. Thing, the same thing that he says in Romans uh, 7.18. He's expressing the fact that it is impossible to do the things that we desire to do. You take away the power of either. The spirit on one hand or the flesh on the other and bring us apart from these influences. Still we can't. Because to do the things that we desire to do, we need power. We need enabling power. And so the argument is that if we are led by the Spirit, we're not under law. Because if we're being guided by the flesh, of course law restricts. It, it is a negative force. The law can say, don't do this, and don't do that, and if you do, penalty is provided. But never can the law give us an enablement. The law was given for transgressors, for sinners. It wasn't given to give, to give life, was it? No. It was given in order that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world become guilty before God. And so the law could never give enablement which man needs. A fallen man needs power. He needs strength. And so what the apostle is saying here, that here we have two forces, one opposed to the other, the flesh on one side, the spirit on the other, and we're in between, victim of circumstances. And so we need to be enabled, do we not? If either would be withdrawn, we would be shifted into neutral because we wouldn't have force for good even if the flesh was deleted we wouldn't have it uh, 
and especially if the Holy Spirit doesn't give us victory, we cannot do, by law, by restriction, by legislation, we cannot do the, the will of God. It's impossible. I find in my own life, the moment that I fail to recognize the power of the Holy Spirit in my life for good or the restraining power concerning bad, I find failure, failure. Although I desire to do the will of God with my mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. There's no question about it. Our word led is an interesting word in verse 18. Some have looked upon it as a compulsion that we be led, led in a way that we shift into neutral and we're like a jellyfish, we're just led around. But the word led is not used that way. It's interesting how it's used in the Gospels, and maybe just for a moment I would like you to turn to Matthew 4. And just for the sake of making a point, we'd like for you also to get Mark 1. Mark chapter 1, Matthew chapter 4. After our Lord had submitted himself for baptism, we find uh, chapter 4 of Matthew, or chapter 1, chapter 4 of Matthew, uh, verse 1, we read, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to, tempt, to be tempted of the devil. Read it again. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 12. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. We have two words, one that is opposed to the other. Our word led in our term means to go before one and lead it. To drive one, you lead a sheep, but you drive an ox. And he's talking about the same instance, about the same experience. One says he's led. The other says he is driven. Well, is there a contradiction here? The word drive in Mark means to compel. It means to take by force, exertion of force, do something. Lead means to, I suppose we could use it as to coax one, or to lead by persuasion. Well, we say, did our Lord need to be compelled to go into the wilderness? No. So the thought here is, although he was led, although he was driven, he did it by his own volition. He was willing. He, he, uh, he cooperated in each case. Now, the reason I say this is because when it comes to victory over the flesh, the believer is not automatically delivered. But he must cooperate. I must be willing for the Spirit to give me the victory. If not, then I'll scarcely have it. Romans 8. Of course, Romans 8 uh, is a continuation of what we 
have just considered in chapter 7. Now Paul speaks about the deliverance that follows submission. Perhaps we should read beginning of verse 1. Submission. Perhaps we should read beginning of verse 1. Let's begin at verse 24 and uh, ignore the chapter division. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Uh, There is therefore now no condemnation to them uh, who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, I'm sure you agree that other... A part of the verse is to be deleted. It's, it's not there. So we'll continue at verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death, of course, is in reference to the nature, the fallen nature, the nature that the Christian has. And so he goes on to say, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, the law weak? Oh, the law is powerful. But it is weak because of the instrument. The law is weak through the flesh. God is sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, or for sin offering, or in regard to sin, condemns sin in the flesh. Here we have flesh used in two senses. One is referring to humanity. And the last word flesh here, condemns sin in flesh, refers to the nature of the person. Not not the person of Christ, but the the believer. So, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He wasn't sinful, was he? He did not have the flesh nature, did he? Of course he didn't. But it says he sent in the likeness of sinful nature. No, not in the likeness of the sinful nature, but in the likeness of flesh. In the likeness of sinful flesh. And so, uh, and for our sin offering, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, could we say that he condemned sin in the body? Is that what he's saying? That he condemned sin in the body, or he condemned sin in the flesh nature? I'm afraid that we couldn't say that he condemned sin in the, in the human body. Because the human body is the vehicle through which the flesh expresses itself. That is uh, so vivid in chapter 6 of Romans. So here he's not talking about uh, the body here, condemning sin in the body. I used to take it that way, but uh, I can no longer believe that. In chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, verse 10 he says, For in that he died, he died unto sin once, that is Christ. For in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon yourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your uh, mortal body, your body that's subject to death, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Just read this verse and say, well, we shouldn't obey sin. Sin is reign, sin is the king, but sin is not to be the king over the Christian. Sin is not to reign over the Christian. 
So let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that, he, that, uh, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. And I used to relate the it to sin. I obey sin, but with a little help, quite a bit of it, from lexicons, Greek helps, I find that the it does not refer to sin. I don't know anything about the Greek grammar, but I'm told by competent authorities that it is in the neuter. Sin is in the feminine gender. Body is in the neuter and it must refer to the body. You're not to obey the body. The body is sinful. Body is sinful in that it is the vehicle of the flesh. And so the flesh then dominates the body and we're not to permit the sin nature to dominate our body and the members thereof. But we are to present, to yield our bodies as living sacrifices or as a living sacrifice unto God, which is only our reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we might demonstrate what is that will, uh, what is that, uh, my quotation isn't too apt, what is uh, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so in uh, Romans 4, Romans 8 rather, and 4, uh, as, let me correct that again, Romans 8 and 3, where it says, condemn sin in the flesh, he's referring to the sin nature here. Now, verse 4 says that the right, in order that, let me read verse 3 again, for the law, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, or in regard to sin, condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Uh, the, the subject here is the walk of the Christian. He's not talking about the un, not talking to the unsaved, he's talking to the saved here. But however, he uses the third person in verse 5, he's for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. I understand that our word after has a force of control, means to control, for they that are controlled uh, by the flesh, of course that's the unsaved person, they do tend the things of the flesh, and they that are controlled by the spirit, they tend to the things or mind or tend to the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Of course, our word carnally, as you know, is our word or adjective for the word flesh. It means a fleshly minded. Uh, it could refer to the unsaved. It could refer to the Christian. Paul's going to make a distinction. Verse, uh, verse uh, uh, 7, he says, because the carnal mind is at enmity against God. I believe a Christian has a carnal mind. I believe we can be carnal minded. I believe we can be controlled by the flesh in a sense that we... Uh, that we falter and fail. I don't believe one can be completely controlled by the flesh. I believe anyone can. I mean, any, any believer. But nevertheless, we find that sometimes our minds are at enmity with God when we're out of the will of God. We oppose him. And he says, the carnal mind is at enmity with God and not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So they that are in the flesh cannot please God. 
course, that refers to the unsaved. And Paul jumps from one to the other. Uh, he, he speaks about the potential of the believer. Then he'll talk about the unsaved. He draws a contrast. So they that are in the flesh. You couldn't say that a believer is in the flesh. It refers to his position. But he says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. And if the spirit of God dwelleth in you, then, of course, we, are, we belong to Christ. If the Spirit of God dwelleth in us, we have been identified with Christ. That's how we are saved, isn't it? The moment that we come to say yes to the Holy Spirit and to the Word of God, believe the Gospel, that moment the Holy Spirit places us in Christ. He identifies us with Christ. Then we're no longer in the sphere of the, spirit, or in the, sphere of the flesh, but in the sphere of the, uh, of the Spirit. We're in Christ. And so there's a play back and forth upon these two positions. Now he goes on to say in verse 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwelt in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. He does not belong to Christ. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness in it. The Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Now the word quicken here is not, as I understand it, referring to the resurrection. It's not referring to an afterlife. It's referring to a life here and now. He's talking about the walk of the believer. He's talking about quickening a mortal body. That these mortal bodies are brought into subjection to the Spirit and therefore now it is possible to have the victory. Certainly those who believe in the eradication of the flesh have no scriptural ground for their doctrine. The flesh is never eradicated this side of glory. It's always a potential danger. It's something that we have that must be brought under subjection. And certainly Paul refers to that in the ninth chapter of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, where he speaks there. Uh, concerning his own activity. Chapter 9 and verse 26, he says, I therefore run not as uncertain, so fight I not as that one that beateth the air, but I keep my body under. I keep under my body, or I keep my body under subjection, lest that by any means, uh, when I preach to others, I myself might be disapproved. It was a matter with Paul to be led by the Spirit in closing Turn back to Galatians uh, 5 for just a moment. The flesh demonstrates itself in works. Verse 19, chapter 5, tells us, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I used to read this and scare me to death because I realized I have done some of these things in my past life. And uh, they that do these things, but thank God when I learned that the word do has to do with a continual doing, a practicing. It's a characteristic of life. And so he draws this great 
characteristic uh, thing here that depicts the unsaved. A man that can do, a person that can do these things without whims of conscience, can do these things and go on and do them without any feeling of contrition, is an unsaved man. Because the Holy Spirit is a force within the believer that causes him to... uh, to be in, 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 in problems. He, he, he'll, he, he'll be, he, he's, in a, he's in a vice the moment that he, he does these things or any of these things. And he's not saying that a, a believer could not do one of these things. He's not saying that. But he says, they which practice these things, any of these things, if these things are the rule of thumb, if this characterizes the man, he shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Against such there is no law. Now these characterizes the believer. Although he may stumble, he may fall, he may falter, he may fail, and we all do. There's no excuse for it. There's no excuse not stand before the judgment seat of Christ and say, well, I, 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 I couldn't help doing this. Oh, yes, we can. Oh, yes, we can have the victory. Because he goes on to say at verse 24, And they that are Christ, or they that belong to him, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust thereof. Now, he's talking about the position here of the believer. Now, when we believed on Christ, that moment the flesh was crucified and it need not have the victory. The flesh need not be victorious in our life because we have the Holy Spirit, but it's up to you and I, it's up to the believer to conduct himself and to walk properly, to be submissive, and to give himself into the hands of the Spirit of God, and then there will be victory. And Paul admonishes, if we live in the Spirit, which we do, our word, if there is not a condition live. In other words, he could say, since we live in the Spirit. That's our place. That's our sphere. That's, uh, that's, their, that's our home. Let us also walk in the Spirit, and let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. So there's no excuse for a believer to fail. He, to say, he can live sinlessly in himself. He cannot. But I believe there is power in the Word of God as we read it, obey it, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that I can live well-pleasing unto God. And when I stand before him, I'll never have any excuse. I'll never be able to say, I couldn't measure up to the standard because I do have the enablement. And if this conflict goes on and I yield to the Spirit, I will not have to worry about the success of the flesh. May God bless you.